Hi, this is Shazia Akbar. Hello, Shazia. How are you, Patrick? I'm doing well. Let's see, we're waiting on Catherine. Should be joining us. Oh, hello, Catherine. Hi. Okay, well, I'm Patrick, and uh, this is the Mindfulness Group. And today we'll be discussing Bekvar and Bekvar um, and the first three chapters of systems theory and family therapy. So let's start with chapter one and why, why are theories important um, to us as therapists or to the field in general of, of psychology? Does anyone want to start? Um, I can. Um so theories, um, they are what we've learned. Um, they're kind of the roadmap that help us um, guide our clients um, and their uncharted territories. Um, and they help us to better define our therapeutic relationships with, with our clients. They can help us help our clients bring about change and desired outcomes by sorting through all the information that the client will share with us. Yeah. And to add to that, I'm, I don't remember if this was um, explicitly stated in the reading, but um, I also, as I was reading about theories in Beckbar and Beckbar, thinking back to what we know about common factors and um, how, and it doesn't so much matter the model that you use, but the allegiance, your belief in the theory that you're using matters so much. And um, so I just wanted to point that out to you. If having yeah, a Catherine, theory that you're committed to. Yeah, Catherine, I'm glad better. you brought that up because, um, you know, theories, theories are important because they lay the groundwork on which the models are built. And so without the theories that we work off of to define um, the therapeutic relationships and, you know, the different common factors, then we wouldn't really be able to get an idea of how we can work within that theory and, and um, instigate uh, therapeutic change yeah. with our clients. So, Today, the major theory we're going to be talking about is systems theory. And um, according to uh, Beckvar and Beckvar, this is you know, one of the foundational theories of family therapy. It's um, rooted heavily in, uh, or started with, with uh, Bertil Anfi. And um, basically, it's a theory that says that we are a a system for lack of a better term of interactional relationships of give and take rather than just giving and a plus you know um a to b to c we are you know a to b b to a um a to c b to c so yeah does anyone have any thoughts about that Um, yeah, the what what you were saying. Um, I, I guess before system theory came along, everybody looked at 
linear patterns of interactions and systems theory just kind of, you know, to, to put it another way, said that we all share um, like a circular interaction that um, that cre- helps create meanings. And um, one of the examples that um, I remember reading about in um, a previous class was um, the example of um, blind men and the elephant that all as soon as um, that each each blind man approached the elephant from different angles and some said well you know this it's textured and some said it's you know it's you know defined different parts of the elephant in different ways so each of them were right in one way and each of them were also wrong in another way um, you know it's so per- taking the perspective and um, studying individuals in relation to each other is very important is a very important component of system theory yeah i mean we don't live in a bubble so to try and treat someone as not being affected by the things that they're taking in around them and their day-to-day interactions would be almost laughable it, it almost doesn't make sense that that um, anyone could work off of a a framework that isn't systems theory. Right. Absolutely agree with that. Um, so, what was I going to say? Um, so, understanding people and, and their scenarios, that kind of leads into something that I really liked about the first time we read Beck Far and Beck Far. Um, they were, it was the only thing I liked about the first time we read Beck Far and Beck Far. Um, <laughs> they were much longer chapters and uh, with much more beat around the bush kind of wording and speaking. And this was in our theories class, but it talked about the idea of the multiverse. Um, how each person has their own uh, reality and it's very real for them based on the information that they've taken in their personal lived experiences and their own subjective opinions. So we all interpret things in our own way based on our systems. And, you know, there is no one true reality, um, at least according to this this idea. And that really plays into like the debate between modernism and postmodernism. Like so postmodernism or modernism being that, you know, universal truths exist and that through um like scientific research we can uh, and observation and experimentation, we can discover those and um, it is possible to gain an objective knowledge of the world. And in this, the therapist is the expert because they've had schooling and the client obviously has not, um, at least in the, in the field of therapy. Um, and then they are kind of the mind doctor that works with the client. Um, whereas postmodernism is that there is no objective truth and 
reality is completely subjective and not socially constructed, um, construed, sorry. And um, that the therapists aren't the experts, that the, the clients are the experts of their own lives. And the therapists are uh, the experts of models and they are there solely to work with the client to help them help themselves almost in a um, almost kind of in like a Socratic method of, of questioning where you question someone else because you know that they can, they can find the answer within themselves or you help them kind of in the same way that Vygotsky's learning theory did the, um, the zones of proxim- proximal development where you kind of help someone who doesn't have either the uh, level of critical thinking skills or they don't know that they know the answer and you kind of help them and help set the stones that are the roadmap for them to get to their answer without actually answering the question for them, just asking them questions that lead them there. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I see those two. And we can talk about where we each fall within those. Um, so do you guys have any anything you want to add to either the definition of postmodernism and modernism or your opinions on the two? Well, I think you definitely um, covered the the definitions and explained them really well, but we can definitely talk about our opinions. Um, I personally think I probably fall somewhere in the middle. Um, I think most people probably do, but I definitely, um, the idea that clients are the um, experts on their own lives and, um, and can, while therapists are the, the experts on the models, on the process of therapy, clients are capable of making, really making the change and they don't need fixing so much as, as a guide really resonates with me. What about you, Stravia? Yeah, I would tend to agree with Catherine on there. I think um, when we are practicing, I guess, um, therapy with a client, it's important to um, give them a sense of, I, I guess, you know, control over their um, uh, their their context. Their you know, because they have their that perspective, um, and then it's also important to be able to say to the client that I think there there might be another way to look at this. So I, I like I, I like the um, that aspect of postmodernism where you are allowing the, the, the client to be um, you know the expert of their own situation. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I too kind of fall in between, but I think I fall more towards the modernist um i do let's see uh where to begin with this i i do think that people are are definitely the experts in their own lives and i don't think that there is an a there aren't certain objective truths but there are 
a great deal of objective truths, uh, scientific truths, and we can work within those frameworks. But, um, and it's kind of stickier with, with psychology because a lot of those objective truths do not do not work within or, or aren't rooted in, in psychology, which is a lot more of a non-objective truth uh, field, I think. But I do think the therapist should be the expert and um, should present themselves that way. I think when people come into therapy, they're um, people voluntarily come into therapy. They're expecting help from someone who is an expert and they're they're almost relinquishing themselves to I need I need this help and they don't necessarily want someone who's going to just um, be a listener and kind of ask them questions I think they're looking for for help they're looking for a lifeline so I definitely like to give advice um Sometimes I, I give it when it's not asked and, and that's something in my own life. But um, yeah, I mean, the, um, one of the reasons I, I want to get a doctorate is just, is just for that, that title, to be honest. Um, I'd like to do some research, but also, um, yeah. And, and this kind of conflicts with my, I feel like I have a lot of conflicting views because on the one hand, I do think of, you know, reality as this multiverse of everyone living their own reality based on their own experiences. And um, to understand each other, we have to be able to put ourselves in each other's shoes. And I think that is uh, not to dive into another topic, but for in terms of diversity, you know, prejudice, racism, um, all the isms that we need to be able to understand where other people are coming from and what they're feeling because we don't, we don't live the same lives as other people. We don't even live the same lives as the other people who live in our house. Um, mm-hmm. So how could mm-hmm. we even suppose to understand what someone else is going through when they're living in, you know, a different neighborhood with a different family, with different values, with different, um, you know, uh, with different family history and uh, different levels of resilience and family pride and cultural pride and all, all of that. So I think they're both good ideas. And I think to land too heavily within modernism or postmodernism would be a mistake, but mm-hmm. a healthy blend of both is kind of what's, what's needed. Mm-hmm. So within that, I guess we can talk about um, constructivism and social constructionism which are kind of hard to to differentiate. But uh, who wants to give that one a go? I can. Um, so 
the way and sorry y'all y'all might be able to hear my little monster uh, in the background no worries (laughs) okay um so the way that I understood it from the reading um and previous readings is um constructivism is all about and the idea that knowledge or our perceptions of reality are constructed they're um based on our beliefs and our value systems and that while truth or um, like an objective truth might exist out there, we as human beings aren't, um, we're not really capable of knowing um, that objective truth and what we understand is constructed based on our experiences, beliefs, and values. Um, And then as therapists, um, and what we know about our clients is also constructed um, based on those values and beliefs. And then social constructionism really flows from that. Um, But um, really, I think, hones in on the idea that um, the way that we construct our reality is defined by our sociocultural context. And so... um, so we take on the values and beliefs of our culture, of the people that are around us and use them to construct that reality. Um, and I think as therapists, um, especially therapists um, like me, um, who's from a normative, the normative culture in my community, it's really important to be a, really aware of the ways that um, my beliefs and values um, are a product of my culture because it's really easy to believe that they're universal because they're dominant. Um, and that's not the same thing. Um, is that how you, you all understood the difference between construction, constructivism and social constructionism? Cause they really are very similar. Yeah. I mean, I kind of saw it as one is, um, constructed by individual perceptions and uh, lived experiences and Mm -hmm. the other social constructionism is based on um, language how we how we define things and how we talk about different things and then it's also about the like larger societal systems that we exist in the societal mm-hmm. and cultural systems that that kind of permeate through all of the subsystems that are within it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of acts as like a skeleton structure that is like, okay, there's a bunch of subsystems within this larger system, but these are the what's considered the norms, and these are what's considered you know, essential beliefs and values and anything that is different from that is an outside or uh, non-majority opinion or belief. And so that is not, it's it's just different. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I, I viewed it. I don't know if that made it any clearer or if that made things more difficult to understand. But this whole, all of this between discussing 
you know, constructivism, social constructionism, modernism, postmodernism, and systems theory in general is all very meta and very um, complicated in and of itself. I mean, people have written books and books on them, and Beckvar and Beckvar have written books and different volumes of the same books, and it's just a... Um, it's it's a kind of like a rabbit hole that you can dive down into and you can really go as far as you'd like. Mm-hmm. I, I also liked how in um, our reading, there was one sentence that said that um, it's important to note that like our, our DSM manual, everything that we define, any disorder or anything that kind of, Set, steps away from the norm all of that is socially constructed and we use all these theories for, um, for family therapy you know um, th- that they are socially constructed and they um, are used to treat socially constructed problems so I think just to keep that perspective as we move forward is also very important oh wow yeah you really touched on something that Honestly, we could have a whole hour long podcast um, about, (laughs) but um, I've talked a lot with another friend of mine who's in a clinical psychology program at George Mason about the over pathologization. That is not Mm -hmm. quite the word, but you get the idea um, of our society and how it's almost as if it, it's important to have different defined um, syndromes and disorders for people that definitely need help. But there's a fine line between that and um, labeling others who have who have those differing views, beliefs, uh, opinions that I talked about with the social constructionism and uh, mm-hmm. labeling anyone who is, quote unquote, different as um, having a disorder or having a, a syndrome or yeah, just overall pathologizing, you know, their difference rather than something that is a problem uh, that is causing pro- something that's causing problems to their life and to the lives around them. Um, mm-hmm. And right. how different governments have take, kind of taken advantage of this and they do it in much the same way to keep different classes and um and groups of people down by pathologizing them and considering the Mm -hmm. the different groups uh, or or groups that don't fit the norm as having something wrong with them Mm -hmm. i really this could go we could go down a huge rabbit trail with this conversation but i really when we were learning last semester about personality disorders and I believe like I I'm not saying that I don't think that they're real and a thing and that people don't suffer from these disorders but it also seems like there's such a gray area between what is diagnosable and I just don't like your personality yeah I don't know that makes any sense absolutely I, I did my advanced research in my undergrad for my psychology degree in uh, personality theory, which I absolutely love. I could 
talk about, you know, personality theory and the different assessments for days, but definitely the labeling of specific disorders as personality disorders is an interesting concept. Um, and I think for me in my professional um, life, it would have to be for me to label someone as having a personality disorder, it, it would really have to be affecting their life and the lives around them to, mm-hmm. to warrant that um, so that they can continue to see someone even if they move or I leave for some reason and they their their next person will understand at least go into it with a a beginning understanding of what they're kind of walking into right Um, otherwise I I think it's just it's it's a bit much to to dive into and tell someone that their personality is a disorder right Uh, I I think Mm -hmm. it does something on a on a like this is weird because all of this is like psychology, but like, oh, but like on a psychological level to this individual, like telling them that, you know, your personality is different to the point of it is a disorder rather than you are unique and special is, is, and everyone is unique and special. But when you, when you use the word disorder, I think disorder has a, a negative connotation to it. So mm-hmm. that's, that can be hard on, on a person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to think that you're different in a way that's not positive and in a way that's almost broken, um, I think that can be damaging in and of itself. Right. Right. I agree. Yes. So I guess to get us back on track, um, <laughs> let's kind of start breaking down systems theory. Um and in chapter three, they do a really good job of, well, they do a job of, of breaking down systems theory and <laughs> cybernetics. Um, I actually, I will never say that I like Beckfar and Beckfar, but I think that the, um, the chapters from our theories class in with Bowden, which was a different version of the same book. Their chapter three was quite, Way worse. quite significantly larger, much worse. But I did like, be, I think solely because they, they wrote so much and said the same thing over and over again that, you know, like a, a broken clock is right twice a day. So they, they just kept repeating the same things. But in, if you, we're able to pick it out. Some of some of the the uh, sentences they used actually made more sense than I think this chapter. Um, mm. So I did go back and look at that to kind of understand some of these and get a a more clear um, definition. But I guess let's start with um, with with breaking it down. Sorry, I have the hiccups. Does Does anyone want to start? <clears throat> um, 
Let's see. So we need to start with boundaries. Um, and I can go and I don't know how well I've truly understood. Um, so feel free to correct anything that I get wrong. But um, the way that I understood boundaries is um, that it really is talking about how open or closed the system is to information coming into the system or going out of it um, is the most basic way I knew how to understand yeah. what they were talking about. Did y'all, is that what y'all got from it? I did. And that kind of was difficult because the difference between boundaries and openness and closeness of systems is, um, I think saying it's a fine line would be the understatement of the year because Mm -hmm. it's like the openness and closeness of systems, you know, how tolerant a system is to uh, change Mm -hmm. is dependent on the boundaries, but the boundaries is defined by how open or closed the system is to information. So that's one of the things that I think is especially difficult about systems theory is that, Mm -hmm. and they talk about this a few times um, that it is its best do it. The systems theory is its own best definition or its own best explanation of itself. And that is something that is, so hard to i mean it's it's like theory inside of theory like it just goes so deep that it's it's confusing it it can kind of get your head feeling like a just like a pile of tangled up fishing line so um, <laughs> yeah um, but yeah i mean then so then we move into like communication and information processing which is one of the things i really love about systems theory. I came into this program uh, really determined to kind of focus on, I had my own beliefs and hypotheses about how communication breakdowns are kind of the root cause of, um, you know, all dysfunction and that we don't, we're, we are not good, good communicators in general. And I think that when we joke about, you know, oh, don't therapize me, we're that's just us having effective communication and we're not used to that and so we view it as therapy when you know even my friends will say that they're like oh don't don't use your therapy on me i'm like i'm not i'm just i'm trying to understand what you're trying to tell me and Mm -hmm. your point of view and you know how you're feeling when you're telling me this because otherwise i'm going to be you know the the most detrimental thing in this world are assumptions and inferences because they're, they're up to, you know, they're in the eye of the beholder. And if I'm sending you a, you know, if I'm saying something with my verbal communication or my report and um, saying something different or saying some, another thing with, with my nonverbal or my command function, then if you are only if the verbal is set in stone and we each live in our own multiverse where we've had these different experiences and to me 
what I'm saying non-verbally means one thing, but in your experience, my non-verbal communication means something different to you. Well, then we have just had a conversation where we didn't understand each other because I sent information in trying to, to say one thing and you inferred it as saying a different thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love systems theory a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, communications theory mm-hmm. is part of that. Um, let's see. And then, um, I mean, we could go days and days in communication theory in just on its own with, you know, there's the verbal, the nonverbal, and then context and context is a mixture of, well, analog, like the digital versus analog commands. So that would be verbal is digital. And um, the analog is a mixture of context and nonverbal. So nonverbal is, you know, the, well, I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's the nonverbal communication that you're sending with, with your body and with your tone. And then context is, you know, what situation is this coming across in? Am I saying this mm-hmm. uh, when we're both stressed out? Am I saying this? in you know in the mall or am i saying this at home when we should both be relaxing um and so different contexts change the way the same message is sent and received and um and then to go further there's the the three principles that one cannot not behave uh, everything you do is is a behavior, whether that's not doing something or or doing it. And that almost sounds like the, you know, the preschool, kindergarten, or not preschool, but like the first grade idea of like, oh, by like, you know, not doing this, you're actually, or by not thinking, you're thinking. So you can't not think. It's like, well, yeah, you're right. Um, and one cannot not communicate. So by not doing something you're still behaving and you're still communicating whether that's verbally or not and that the meaning of a given behavior is not the true meaning of the behavior there is there is no true meaning it is however that individual's personal truth so again that goes back to this idea that i think they they didn't talk about it in this this version of the chapter 3 the the multiverse which i'm kind of sad about because i really that one really stuck with me on how um, it's just a really good visual of how different people live these different personal truths because of their own subjective, you know, views, opinions, experiences, etc. Mm-hmm. Does anyone else feel strong as strongly as I do or anywhere close to uh, to communications processing? Patrick, I'm not sure I feel anything as strongly as you do. <laughs> that's, that's definitely fair. <laughs> I have so many opinions and so much to say. Um, 
it's really been a struggle with with um, the Zoom classes to. It, it's so. I feel like I'm I'm taking over so much more than I did in um, in a class discussion where we're all there in person and people can talk over other people and like kind of cut me off. Um, but in in Zoom, it's like everyone's on mute except for one person, and when one person goes in, like they just kind of run until they breathe and someone else can get in. But uh, we, we do have a lot of introverts in our class and without any sort of checking by I really Connor, Shayla or the professor of the class, I, I could really just ramble on all day. <laughs> well, I've noticed um, that, the opposite is true for me. It's so much harder to jump in over oh, Zoom. Absolutely. It's so hard. Um, because by the time I've thought through what I'm going to say, made the motion to unmute myself, we're already somewhere else. Yeah. And then, and then once I do get a chance to say something, then it's like, well, this is my shot. And then I have to like <laughs> say everything that I want to say before you know, who knows when my next chance will be. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, do we need to get back on track? Yeah, yeah, we should. <laughs> okay. right. um, so let's see. So the next thing we'll talk about is uh, entropy and negative entropy. Um, I guess I'll let both of you kind of talk about that and then I can help fill in the blanks i i really didn't understand any of this the first time around mm -hmm. we had to read it so i read it um back in the fall two three times wrote a bunch of notes and and then after all of that i was like okay now i kind of understand it mm -hmm. so i can't imagine yeah i can't imagine someone reading this only once and and understanding it. I don't think that would be possible. No, I just, I agree. Um, so honestly, I'm, I'm not very clear on, on this. I, I took it to mean that um, something about like a, a, um, if a family as a system, there's always going to be some energy, you know, communication exchange. Um, but I'm not very clear on, on, you know, what, what all that means in terms of inputs and, and out outputs, um, from this. So I, do, I don't really think I have anything to add to this part. Yeah. Well, I mean, so entropy is just the lack of, um, well, it's the tendency towards disorder. Um, whereas negative entropy is the tendency towards order or balance. And um, so if there's, um, so I guess if there's new information, um, if there are things being input into the system that's creating disorder, is that? So, yeah, I understood it to be, well, okay, so I'll, I'll start this by saying, I think something that's especially difficult about all this is that you're learning words 
that you're learning a group of words and this group of words, all of their definitions depend on another word in that group of words. So Mm -hmm. like entropy and negative entropy, I feel like are really tied to uh, morphostasis and morphogenesis and, you know, openness and closeness and boundaries because entropy is is yeah this tendency towards maximum disorder it's it's that the energy in this system is um it leans towards the energy is going towards a disorganized system um that's breaking down the rules of it and the boundaries and it's and this is this is going to be what I understand it to be. I don't know if that's correct, but it's almost like a, a negative morphogenesis, like morphogenesis is not to jump into another section, but that system enhancing behavior that allows for growth, creativity, change, innovation. um, And that's necessary for functional systems, but it's kind of the opposite of this. It's, I mean, it's not morphostasis, which is, you know, tendencies towards stability, um, you know, stability within change. It's morphogenesis towards a negative. So it's not um, system enhancing behavior. It's system not enhancing energy. So it's, that's, my words are failing me. Um, But, um, and then negentropy is negative entropy. And this is, in my opinion, very similar to morphogenesis, which is, uh, so negentropy is the tendency away from maximum disorder and towards an appropriate state of order or balance. And so this is when a system reaches kind of that limit of entropy where it's either, the system will either break down or it will snap back into shape like, like a piece of rubber Mm -hmm. and um this is where we reach that point and the morphogenesis in the system or the morphogenesis of the system i don't quite understand how to use that word um and the negentropy return the system back to a homeostatic state so so you, the way that you're understanding it is that entropy correlates with um, morphogenesis, but entropy would be the negative version of it, and morpho yes. morphostasis would be the positive. So I would say morphostasis is. So I would say morphogenesis is to. So morphostasis is almost a synonym for negentropy. Um, But negative morphostasis would be entropy. Okay. I think morphostasis is something different entirely because in its entirety, because both entropy and negentropy are um, tendency towards change, whether that's tendency towards disorder or tendency towards balance and and order which would be morphogenesis but morphostasis is all about um a 
a system's tendency towards okay. okay. So it would be neither entropy nor negentropy. It would almost be the lack of either. Okay. It would be a system's... A, oh, maybe like a system's resilience, even. Um, how how stable it can be in, in the face of, of mm-hmm. change. Right. Or, um, yeah. Or homeostasis. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's, isn't that what we're leading into? Because kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And right? I mean, every, like all systems want to maintain homeostasis. They, right. Nothing likes change. Not mm-hmm. people, not systems. Um, change is hard and it's uncomfortable. Um, we grow from change, but it is not something that I think is is natural to to people or systems we Mm -hmm. like stability we like to know we like order and order comes from the comfortable you know i I do something a hundred times and i know how it's going to go i know if i eat eggs in the morning and drink orange juice that i will be full till noon and at that point i will have enough brain power to function but you know maybe I'm nervous to change my breakfast because I I don't have, I might not be full till noon and I don't have an opportunity to eat till noon. So it's, I'm risking something Mm -hmm. and systems don't like to risk things because pretty much what they're risking is um, total breakdown or positive change. Say what? Sorry. I said, um, I said they're risking it the way the system functions. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big risk. Mm-hmm. It can kick parts of the system out if it deems them uh, not necessary or toxic. And it can allow things in that may be unnecessary or toxic by deeming them necessary. So... I feel I I we got to move on. I feel like I'm okay. talking this. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay. So we talked about open and closed systems a bit. Um. Well, I guess we'll go into positive and negative feedback, which are two of the biggest ideas within mm-hmm. systems theory. I think. Um. Do y'all want to kind of give those a rundown? Um, well, um, in terms, um, Catherine, would you no, like no, no, to no, you go, or? go, sure, okay. okay, all right, simply put, I think we've spent, um, a lot of time on positive and negative feedback in several of our, our previous courses, but simply put, positive feedback, um, means that a change has taken place, and negative feedback means you know, isn't necessarily something, you know, actually negative. It means that just the status quo is what's, what's um, being maintained. So um, that's how I, I understand it in some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people misunderstand positive and negative feedback and in like, mainstream conversation people use those terms and they don't really know what they mean and they're using them improperly and that kind of gives gives me a little chuckle 
Um, because like something that is positive feedback can lead to uh, a negative change and positive (laughs) feedback just means it's, it's enhancing that behavior. It's an encouraging that thing to happen again. So there can be positive feedback that leads to um, child outbursts. And it doesn't mean that child outbursts are a good thing. It just means that the interactions that are leading up to it are encouraging and um, increasing the probability that these child outbursts are going to keep happening and or happen in the same uh, situations. Right. Whereas negative feedback can be a positive thing if it's something that the system needs to um, needs to get back in into place and return to homeostasis, then it can use this negative feedback to to um, is disencourage a word. Discourage is a word. It is, but I'm gonna I'm gonna discourage. Discourage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, you're good definitely the morning um okay wow uh but yeah so it discourages this behavior activity um interaction of some sort and that can be healthy for a system mm-hmm. um so i think we've got that one down um and then I think the last big thing is, you know, relationship and mm-hmm. wholeness. And those kind of tie together in the same way that um, the whole entropy morphogenesis mm-hmm. thing tie together in the sense that, you know, wholeness is the whole is the greater than the sum of its parts, um, which is really tied in or rooted in the idea of dyads and triangles, depending on whose, you know, models or sub theories you're, you're talking to. And you can't just talk about the different players in the game or the players in the system, but the interactions they have with each other, which are all important and they all change or they all add to um, the system as a whole. And the relationship is defining how those interactions that we've defined uh, work with complementary, symmetrical, and parallel relationships. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so I guess we'll, we'll cut to like these, the implications of, of this reading as, you know, for our future as a therapist, um, um, who wants to start with how, how they think this, this information um, whether you use it as a whole or you talk about the individual bits and pieces of systems theory or um, modernism, postmodernism, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. What, what, what of this do you think 
will be important and how do you think it'll affect you you know in your professional um life well i think um i think it will be really helpful systems theory as a whole and all of these concepts in chapter three will be really helpful to um looking at a relationship observing a relationship um between family members between our clients and breaking down um, what's happening. Um, it's a, a lens to look at that relationship in new ways. And I think that will be really helpful and has already been, I think helpful just in observing my own, you know, people in my own life in, in not a therapeutic context, but just looking at the way that people interact with each other. It's helpful to, to break it down into pieces. So. Right. I would agree with Catherine because I think in order to gain like a comprehensive understanding of what's going on within a system, right. The, 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 the problem it has to, or whatever issue at hand, it has to be analyzed in relation to the other parts of the system. So um, I think once we, you know, th this this theory has a lot of parts and a lot of components, but I think we'll, we'll, the whole understanding of all of this will will click in so much better once we're we're actually in the room and we can see it emerging in front of us. You know, it's going to make so much more sense than it does. It, it's you know than it does just in the chapter to me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think this kind of ties back to where we started mm -hmm. with talking about how these theories are the groundwork for the mm -hmm. models. Yes. So by understanding systems theory and by um, kind of understanding or trying or using this as a, I liked how you said this, using this as a lens mm -hmm. to look through, um, mm -hmm. using this as kind of a lens to process information through when we're taking in information. Um, is important to understanding an individual or trying to understand an individual's system and the larger influences and how change might be more difficult or easy for different people based on their unique situations. Um, and um, at least, I mean, a, a very obvious example of this would be with stru the structural model is you you literally could not work in the structural model if you did not understand systems theory because you wouldn't know how different changes kind of set off a cascade of changes and different interactions um and you know i guess we'll we'll end this off with everything is tied together you can't really separate individuals from their systems and um that's that's just something that we have to work within as as therapists so understanding that leaves us better equipped to work with the individuals because of um these systems that do exist whether we acknowledge them or not mm -hmm. yes that sounds good all right well thank right. you guys for yeah. joining in and um we will call this the end of our first okay. podcast. Yes. Great. Thank you. All right. <laughs>
Bye. Bye. Take care.